So, Twitter files, part two, three, and four. <laughs> two, three, and four. How, how long is this going to go on for? Uh, who knows? But uh, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. <laughs> uh, he's obviously got a lot more to come because there's a third guy who's working on it now. Yeah. Schallenberger. Right. Um, do, have they said how many people he's, he's uh, tapped to? I can't remember if that was announced, but I think they're trying to do a kind of cross uh, cross platform um, approach to it. You know, to not have one person who could yeah. be could be controlled. But like generally speaking, they're all those three people are all sort of whether centrist or lefty. None of them lefty, are none of them are think. none of them are right wing type no. thing. They try to avoid. Uh, obviously, it was thought about, you know, in the sense of who, who would release this to avoid recriminations about oh, he just picked a. He's got, you know, someone's opinion, whoever's reading the files or whatever would have a, their their own personal slant mm. on our own personal opinion or bias would influence how they read them and stuff. Although that's, I mean, that's not the way it's, there's not much room for that basically anyway because the way they're going through them, I mean, they're just basically presenting the actual text. There's no, there's no opinion, there's no uh, individual personal takes on on the text, it's, it's basically look. Here's what the person said. It seems pretty clear that this is what w- what was meant, right? So there's mm-hmm. not really any room for personal bias to come into it, you know. But even so, they seem to be. I mean, obviously, it was thought about, and they decided to pick these three people. If if, if that's all they're gonna, if there's only three gonna be involved, yeah. pick three to to do it. Who? Um, maybe they didn't even have that consideration in terms of a, a, a left or right wing bias. They just picked people who were. I don't know. Maybe Musk picked them. Who knows? Yeah, p- possibly Musk. No, I, th- there's got to be some intent here because whether he intended this, for example, uh, after the first tranche, there was a bit of a lull because, oh, hang on, we're, we're coming back any day now. Well, that gave the, the, the mainstream media uh, some time to start vilifying the first guy, Matt, Matt Taibbi, as right. basically Nazi or as leaning right or, you know, yeah, he's always been... Uh, well, he dug to start it. to paint him, you know, yeah. as well, he's too partisan. And then someone, Barry Weiss, I didn't know about That's her, a girl, she, yeah. Woman. You know, uh, opaque. She's Jewish. And then, yeah, they calm down. The next guy is also, he's not, I don't know if he's Jewish, Schallenberger, but he's well-known, famous, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, pro-nuclear, greeny mm-hmm. leftist. Mm-hmm. Wants to save the planet, but in a more rational way. Mm-hmm. That's his whole shtick. Mm-hmm. He's pro-nuclear power, for example. Yeah. Um, yeah, they... Um, yeah, it's interesting. I mean... Um, um, I woke up... Uh, today, I, 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 the first tweet I saw when I when I looked at Twitter was uh, was this one, actually. Um, and it was... I, I kind of thought about it and I figured, yeah, this is probably the best tweet at least my favorite tweet of all time. I don't really have much in the way of favorite tweets. I just, you know, check what's going on Twitter now and again. But when I saw this, uh, Elon Musk's, my pronouns are prosecute Fauci. Um, get, get obviously, obviously, you know, something uh, I, I agree with because I actually have a T-shirt that, uh, that says that. Um, but um, it's... Um, the the what really made it interesting or or made it my favorite tweet of all time was the possibility. Actually, there's my what is it? What does my T-shirt say? Arrest Dr. Fauci. Close enough. Anyway, 
I don't word. I just arrest must naturally precede a prosecution. I presume. Yeah. No, but it's uh, this this week. It obviously I have, I have no expectations or hopes or. Uh, I don't really care to be honest. Uh, if Fauci is ever actually prosecuted, I don't think he ever will be. Um, but the implication from Musk uh, tweeting that was that maybe there's more in stuff in the in the Twitter files to come mm. that implicate uh, or that expose Fauci for you know, or if not skullduggery yeah. in one way or another, you know, or as uh, one of the agencies, yeah. But that he was directly involved in, in, in some way in, in some kind of underhand or, or underhanded uh, tactics and over the COVID period. Which I mean, the thing about it is about all of this. This includes all the other Twitter the Twitter file stuff that have come out already. And this is something that the detractors of it have, are saying as well. We all already knew this, you know, which is kind of like pretty, pretty disingenuous because those the people who are dismissing the Twitter files as nothing burgers because we all already knew that, are people who would never have admitted that before now. Hmm. They would never have admitted that we all knew that Twitter was censoring Trump and lots of other conservative voices. We all knew that uh, Twitter was directly involved with the uh, FBI and the de- Depart- Department of Homeland Security in terms of orchestrating a ban on uh, Twitter and uh, al- you know alternative voices and conservative voices before the 2020 election and, and since it. Um, um, we, all, we all knew that. We um, all knew that. No, um, you didn't know that. You never said that. You never um, agreed to that at that, all. That shadow banning was a real thing. Well, yeah, that's it was conspiracy censoring. theory until last week. Yeah, but generally censoring. That yeah. Twitter was generally censoring in every every possible way, conservative voices and all that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, we all knew that. No, you didn't. But you're saying it now because it's, you can't deny it. Yeah. It's but people, but you're using it now to say that it's a nothing burger when you wouldn't have in your wildest dreams ever admitted that before. You would have screamed right-wing conservative conspiracy theory if anybody brought that up before now. But now that it's exposed as being true, it's like, yeah, so these people are not serious people. People who say that and well, that includes the pre- the press secretary of the White House. I was yeah three days after the first the first tranche of Twitter files part one. Three days before there was any official response, she's asked about it mm-hmm. in the White House briefing room, and she says, "Meh, it's old news." Yeah, everyone knew that. Moving on. What's next? What's current? What's important? Yeah. Oh, Jesus, that's your official response. Well, of course. Well, you would expect them to do that whenever something comes out that they can't actually contest or can't actually dismiss as some kind of a right-wing conspiracy theory, you know, fake news or whatever. When they can't dismiss it as that, well, they, they have no option but to say nothing. And that's, if you look at the media, look at any media today or go back over the past number of days since they started, look at any of the major mainstream media and you'll find almost none of it. Like, go to CNN, BBC... You know, uh, any others that you want, any UK, any English-speaking mainstream media outlets. And you will find practically zero coverage of this uh, topic, the Twitter files, and in particular the content of them, obviously. Kareen managed to not only dismiss it and move on, but twist, just after the first tranche, twist the Twitter files to say that this was a distraction. Mm -hmm from the Nazi problem Twitter has right now, i.e. because Elon Musk has opened a lot of people back up to right. who were previously banned and yeah. so on, Twitter now has a Nazi problem. So she still managed to flip it <laughs> around right. to it's Nazis behind this. Mm-hmm. Well, everyone knows this was happening, but just you're a Nazi. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, what the hell? That's the level of discourse, yep. And we know that's been the level of discourse for so, well, quite some time. 
Let's briefly recap. I don't know, the highlights of, um, of the second one, I think for me, it was that this guy, Jim Baker, well, there was amazing real-time discovery that Jim Baker was still acting as Twitter's legal counsel and was vetting the files thus far shown to Matt Taibbi mm-hmm. and uh, Rachel, it was a barrier, Rachel Weiss. D- this guy, Jim Baker, he's connected to everything since Russiagate. Um, yeah. For example, he's the guy uh, right here on his Wikipedia page, James Baker, who was Twitter's deputy counsel until he was fired last week. Prior to that, was four years as a top lawyer for the FBI. Mm-hmm. It was in that post in 2016 that he linked up his friend, lawyer and Democratic operative Michael Sussman, who was investigated this year, found not guilty, but whatever, with the FBI. Mr. Sussman passed along claims that the Republican candidate, Trump, was in contact with the Russian bank, the Alpha Bank. That's what basically kick-started Russiagate. And there he is. While these Twitter files are being released, he's placed himself somehow without much knowledge as the person, the go-between, he's going to vet what can and cannot be released in the Twitter file. That's what I mean by amazing real-time discovery. Mm-hmm. Um, it blows my mind. Well, anyway, that was superseded by subsequent files that have back and forth extensive communications in which, again, Joel Roth, senior executive at Twitter until October, um, boasted in internal communications about his external communications on a weekly basis with the FBI Mm -hmm. as to not just which tweets to delete, but which whole accounts to, quote, de-amplify, which was another revelation this week that shadow banning is, in fact, a real thing. Yeah. Yeah. So far in the... So far in the... um in the files, what you see is that this guy, Yoel Roth, who was the head of safety and security or something like that. I mean, safety and security, okay, whatever. Um, but he, um, he's, he's all over it. Like, I mean, yeah. in, in all the files, he's, he's referenced a lot in terms of making decisions and deciding mm. as, as the point man in terms of you know, deciding who gets banned, who doesn't, what to do about Trump, what not to do about Trump, all that kind of stuff. And he's uh, not even 30 years old, right? No, and, and he's... You know, Elon Musk made uh, a few pretty serious allegations. Elon Musk is is like gloves are off, like you know what yeah. I mean in that respect. You know, uh, this is there's a few videos here. Um, you can just watch. I mean, this is just to give you an idea of who this guy is. Um, this, is Roth. this is Roth. Yo Roth. This is he's. I don't know. This is a few years ago. Um, not too long ago, because in this one he's talking about uh, having you know the Babylon Bee. He they they, they suspended or. Banned the Babylon Bee for the satirical uh, site. Yeah. A few years, it's a satire site. Pretty good, actually. Um, and here's what he thinks about the Babylon Bee. Okay, Babylon Bee, which is what got him to buy the thing, I think. That's the that's the, the one which is which was not particularly funny. The Babylon Bee's man of the year is Rachel Levine. <laughs> not funny. Yeah, um, and and you can. Ask I didn't her. agree they should have taken that down, but go ahead. You know, it's interesting. Uh, it's interesting to think about what the competing tensions around that are. And I, w- I want to start by acknowledging that um, the targeting and the victimization of the trans community on Twitter is very real, very life-threatening, and extraordinarily serious. Um, we have seen from a number of Twitter accounts, including libs of TikTok notably, that there are orchestrated campaigns that particularly are singling out 
a group that is already particularly vulnerable within society. And so, yeah, not only is it not funny, but it is dangerous and it does contribute to an environment that makes people unsafe in the world. So let's start from a premise that it's fucked up. But then, again, let's look at what Twitter's written policies are. Twitter's written policies prohibit misgendering, full stop. And the Babylon Bee, in the name of satire, misgendered Admiral Rachel Levine. Twitter Nominally, but it's still misgendering. And, you know, you can, there can be a very long and and academic discussion of of satire and sort of the lines there. Interestingly, uh, Apple tried to tease out this question of satire and political commentary in their own guidelines, which I think are, are also fraught. But... You know, we landed on the side of enforcing our rules okay. as written. And that's how it got bought by Elon Musk, just in case you're interested. Um, he was mad about that. I remember that. So, yeah. Um, and he smiles at that, but now he's fired. Yeah. Uh, and there's also um, this one where he says, I mean, we don't have to play. I don't know if you want to hear any more from this guy, but it's, it's bizarre. Uh, he says that he was... In this this segment from the same talk, he was deeply terrified by Trump, by Trump supporters who criticized him for applying misinformation labels to Trump's tweets. He says, I experienced those harms. He he recounted, right? Um, He's a lot more cogent to hear him speak than to see him write. I know, yeah. Because I know there were internal messages, so they weren't formal emails, but his arcane reasoning in the back and forth... um, what we see is the internal discussions on Slack, their internal messaging, and it's back and forth. But he's relaying the conversations he's having with the feds on a week-to-week mm-hmm. basis. And it, it's just pure gibberish. Like, he, he's got his own staff, like, confused, and he's going back and forth. It's arcane. It's, it's weird. At least here, I kind of see what the point is. Harms to society of a... No, harms to transgender people, specifically yes, in the case of Babylon B. Of, of a vulnerable group in society, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but of course, it, it, that cannot be be, be all and end all. Because the first thing that comes to mind is you're you're concerned about the harms to this group. Well, what about the harms to young people who later realize the harms physically done to them and try to detransition? Yeah. It, uh, for example, um, that the whole thing about harm and safety is is creepy. Yeah, super creepy. So he. Um he experienced the trauma, and if you just put up, uh, did I send you one there, Scotty? Uh, just put up, um, yeah, that one, right? Uh, truly incredible. Former Twitter executive, Yoel uh, Roth, just got caught fabricating a fake justification for censoring media outlets. Outlet says that this, that was the New York Post and the Hunter Biden laptop story. Says the decision to ban Trump after January sixth was impelled by the trauma he and other content moderators experienced online that fateful day. So these pe- bunch of people sitting, so in tw- sitting in Twitter in Los Angeles, right, uh, three thousand, well, close to three thousand miles <clears throat> from events in Washington D.C., and they're all experiencing trauma. Um, him and all of his friends at Twitter, sitting up in their plush offices in Twitter, three thousand miles from Washington D.C., they're experiencing trauma. So it's personal to him. I mean, again, the whole thing about these Twitter files is exposes exposes a, a, a massive left-leaning uh, bias, pro-Democrat, pro, you could extend it further to a pro-agenda, an agenda within the Washington establishment or whatever that appears to be, quote-unquote, left-leaning. 
and, and everything that that, that entailed. And it, it, there's massive bias in 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 Twitter as a platform that ostensibly is to allow free expression of opinion on on you know in public, uh, but in fact they're going around uh, uh, censoring speech across the board across that entire platform based on their own personal subjective uh, feelings. bias feelings and uh, they're therefore not representative at the very least I mean the, the, the broad thing you can take out of this is that Twitter at least on before Musk was not a platform for free speech it was not for open discussion of topics to get to try and get to a synthesis of of of, uh, of opinion or whatever on anyone or, the tr- or or ideally the truth or something close to the truth on any given op- uh, topic. No, very <coughs> very much uh, predetermined. The, the 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 truth on any given topic was very much predetermined on the basis of these people censoring information that did not fit with their particular mm. uh, perspective. So something I uh, don't think I've ever told you this, but whenever I like one of your tweets, the the heart turns pink mm. to show that it's been registered, but the count goes down one. Well, so then I undo it. So by hitting it again, and the pink heart goes back to blank, mm. and then I redo it. Pink heart is shown in color, and it goes back to the count it was before. <laughs> Weird. Every time, every time. So like even on it, you know, little bitty accounts where we've hardly any followers, there's there's some kind of listing. Yeah, uh, they obviously they these sort of files explain that they do it on a case by case basis, and they are targeting. You know, mm-hmm. what invariably happens is something that's brought their attention, like libs of TikTok, has massive following, mm-hmm. and so what do we do? Interesting discovery this week was there is a back end, which they showed on Twitter on how as to how it looks. So one of the options to select on an account for Twitter employees is deamplify, mm-hmm. and that was explained, I think, by Weiss. Yeah, um, basically a shadow banning. Yeah, that's what it is. They had multiple throttling people. Yeah, they had an awful lot of different tools. I mean, it, it goes from putting uh, labels automatically putting labels on on any any particular tweet. One person's you know, one account's tweets always gets a label on anything they tweet, which says like over the election, whatever whatever they want the, yeah. the, the label to say. But on, uh, on Trump's tweets, for example, on other uh, Twitter users' tweets, were was uh, the label about. Uh, Click this link to see uh, why elections are, are safe, free, safe, and and safe, and free and fair and stuff. So same with COVID. From from that right up to yeah, exactly the same as COVID, and from that right up to you know just um, de de amplifying. Uh, I think they called it all different mm. acronyms for the different measures they took to reduce the exposure of a particular uh, person's tweet, or or even uh, a word or a phrase in a tweet gets anywhere it happens gets. Uh, downgraded or even just basically shadow what they call sh- I mean yeah. shadow banning isn't really a technical term in that respect it's just a term that's only come up with I think but yeah. in terms of the internal Twitter uh, terminology they don't use shadow banning necessarily they've all lots of different acronyms and yeah customized and terms you know and it's amazing how we see <clears> that in real time they were adding keywords as they evolve in an ongoing situation so for example 2020 contested election results Uproar, lots of discussion, of course, in the United States. When Kraken mm. was used by that lawyer, forget yeah. her name, on release the Kraken, mm. people were talking, you know, recited that over and over again, mm-hmm. and they banned Kraken. In right. other words, any mention of Kraken 
not tweet remove, but it would automatically be you know throttled yeah. down or whatever. Yeah. Any mention, but then someone pointed out um, <laughs> that there's a some kind of crypto exchange by that name, right. Kraken. So they had to, and there's a Joe Roth is back and forth. Okay, well, allow list this term, right? So they have their own terminology: delist, allow list, right, partial list. You know, yeah. Uh, the same was applied to uh, stop the steal. Remember at the time, stop yeah. the steal was trending. Now, or people were using that hashtag stop the steal because they were saying that the election was being stolen and because that long process from the actual election day on um, on November 9th until... Election week, but yeah. Day. But, well, yeah, <laughs> but that day when the actual, uh, let's say the announce, the, the result were, were, was announced and then the whole process of Trump right. and his so-quote-unquote so, team um, contesting it, there was a whole stop the steal uh, hashtag um, and they wanted to censor that. They wanted to stop anything with stop the steel in it from uh, trending or from getting much exposure. But then someone mentioned, and this is in the Twitter files, one of the, one of the other Twitter in, uh, employees mentioned, well, that might be a bad idea because there are kind of counter-narrative tweets that are using stop the steel and you'll suppress those as well because mm. they're actually making valid points about how saying stop the steel is bullshit. You know, so... so the the other side was repeating right. using the same tag stop the steal but in in order to to, right. to 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 dismiss it so what they said is okay let's use and okay we can don't 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 censor it within any particular tweet but anybody that has stop the, stop the steal in, in their, their bio name. or in their or, name or yeah. bio yeah. they'll be downgraded uh, just throw that one up there just before we get past it I give it to you already Scotty uh, yeah so this is from Schallenberg this is first this came out today it's part four. And it's just, he's just a preamble to the actual Twitter files. He just uh, highlights this important point that we've just been talking about, which is, uh, for context, it's important to understand that Twitter staff and senior execs were over, overwhelmingly pro- progressive. 2018, 2020, and 2022, 96%, 98%, and 99% of Twitter staff's political donations went to Democrats. And then he, he, he references uh, Matt, Matt uh, Tybee's... Um, who in his previous when he was released part one or mm. was he, he he just showed a, a breakdown of the uh, contributions by oh. party or recipient. I wonder how Toby got that. <coughs> they have to disclose it or something. Yeah, I think it has to be disclosed. So, right. I mean that's that's a no brainer. Like so, I suppose like we said, like like I said already, it's um, the take home from this, apart from all of the details which are kind of interesting in themselves and how this thing works behind the scenes in the back room and stuff. The take takeaway from this whole Twitter files situation is that despite how they, despite what they claim uh, or it's assume, or what they are assumed to be, platforms like Twitter and Facebook are not objective. Uh, are not ob- platforms for, ob- that, 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 that protect to the greatest extent possible um, free speech and uh, do not um, are not exponents of, of object, objective reporting of public opinion, uh, and the thing is that the same can be applied to the media, the media in general, mm. and any media. And this is it's like a big secret that it's the it's the um, not very well hidden secret that I don't know. Everybody should long before now have recognized that all media. Uh, all information or news reporting comes through human individuals who are inherently biased. Mm. And therefore, there is no such thing as objective news reporting, except in the context of, let's say, 
a story that just, you know, a cat got stuck up a tree somewhere or a fire broke out here or, you know, that kind of like just, just the facts where there really is only room for just the facts to be reported. But most of the news today does not fall into that category. Uh, or most of the important news, the news that gains traction does not fall into that category. Most of the news that gains traction and, and you know, occupies people's minds is stuff that, um, that elicits uh, an opinion from people. Mm. Most people won't have an opinion on a cat being stuck up a tree or a fire breaking out somewhere or there being an earthquake somewhere apart from, oh, that's bad. Most of the news that gains traction with the average person is stuff where they can actually have their own opinion on it. Where it's not clear, where it you know, where it's political or it's social, uh, cultural issues, that means. kind of thing, and what it means exactly. Uh, and if, so, the fact, the reason that that gets tr- gains traction with the average person is because it allows them to input their own opinion, and you have to assume that that's happening at the back end, at the at the at the source mm. as well, because it's people just like you who are reading the news, who are also quote unquote making the news and inf- and, and presenting those uh, that that kind of um, let's say non-objective, uh, non-factual, let's say, or, or news stories, news events, or events that are not merely uh, a, a, a series of facts or a fact that, 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 occur, that occurred uh, or an event that occurred. It's, it's stuff where something happened and what does this mean? Um, and, of course, that's, well, it's open to, it's open to uh, interpretation. But people still labour under... A lot of people seem to still labour under the belief that uh, some... Media still, when they report what is clearly their own personal opinion, media hacks, media journalists, whatever, uh, editors, they still, for some reason, interpret that as being the objective truth when it should rationally be understood as just the opinion, you know, of someone uh, in terms of what it means, like uh-huh. you said. It's bizarre. So, so th- 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 these are revealing a tr- that that truth, the fact yeah. that, that 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 that's one fact you can take home is that it's all it's all opinion, it's all bias, it's prejudice, it's opinion. The media, across the board, um, when it comes to political, cultural, social uh, trends yeah. or events, in terms of but also the importance to those with power, those in authority, to monitor and intervene. Yeah, on well, they're shaping on increasing scale. They're shaping opinion, yeah. They're, they want to shape that opinion because they, I mean, they wouldn't be able to shape opinion if if it was just if the facts were just the facts, man. Or if it was if if any event had clear, unambiguous fact and under, uh, meaning to it, there would be no no option to no no ability to shape it or manipulate it or or, or distort it or twist it or whatever present it in a certain way. Um, to that, you know what I mean. So yeah. I think people understand that intuitively, but there still is a lot of people who believe that when they read something, they're getting just the facts. Despite the fact that there's a slant on it, there's a clear slant on it, there's a clear opinion being expressed here. But no, that's a fact. That journalist's opinion is a fact. Yeah. And it's not. And they don't, but they don't want that because that means open discussion. That means full, free, open discussion. And the authorities don't want that because they, in turn, want their perspective, their slant, their version of what the meaning behind this particular event is to be taken up by the vast majority of people. Yeah. And it's not that free and open discussion will lead to just chaos where no. everyone has a subjective my truth, your truth. They must know because they've seen it happen, not least, for example, in the election of Donald Trump in 2016, who used Twitter primarily to get there, yeah. along with some Facebook ads. They must know that it's the danger is that 
not just that there'll be chaos and anarchy out there with everyone believing some subjective truth and it'll all fall apart, but that from that open and public discussion, an alternative consensus, contrary to theirs, will come about. Mm -hmm. All topics, but right. not least, and most importantly, about who wields power and who ought to wield power. Mm -hmm. That is the touchstone. That's where all the rubber, you know, it all hits the road here on this. Right. And it's no coincidence then that the, the, the event, the topic that got this going was Trump's election. Right. In conjunction, probably, it's, it's a weird twist of faith that the way it happened in both uh, size of the Anglo-Saxon system, so to speak, the world order we live in, right? On the same year, we had Brexit result going not the way they expected mm -hmm. and Trump going not the way they expected the 2016 election. Mm -hmm. And everything stems from that. It, it isn't just that, oh, we're going to become less and less irrelevant, less and less relevant, and over time, gosh, you know, we're losing, we're losing people here. It's that the rabble those people out there are forming a coherent alternative that threatens our power. Right. It's, yeah. uh, it, it's, That's what it comes down to, yeah. It's, it's, That's why they don't like populism, right? We're, we're, I, the basic idea of populism being where uh, a leader or a government in a country gives significantly more weight to the opinion of the, the, the people, the, the, Vox the, the Populi, people, the, the as people. Elon yeah. Musk has right. Art, right. expressly articulated. And they really don't like that. That's populism. And you notice that populism <clears throat> just became, came on the scene there a few years ago, really with Trump, and uh, became a bad word immediately. Yeah. And, and no one ever explained why populism, in the context of democracy and the ideas that around democracy and what people believe democracy is in, in the Western world, no one ever, whoever used that word populism as a, as a bad word as a, mm -hmm. in the pejorative, ever explained why it was bad. They just used it as a slur. Populist, populist, dirty word, populist. What do you mean by populist? Oh, you mean giving more, more, more say to the voice or the will or the, the, the wishes of the population? Isn't that, isn't that more, more true grassroots democracy? Isn't that like the, a, a, a finer distillation of, of the nature of the hey, democracy that these people The promote? will of the majority, right? Yeah. They usually start mumbling something about authoritarianism and then it trails off. Mm. But there's an interesting clue in that. In that minority that's scared of the majority, mm. they are th there's types of people who are rather different. They see, they they're aware they're vaguely aware they're different, or they're very aware. Oh, we're part of a marginal, oppressed caste of society, mm. and when we're out in the full spec, you know, the full uh, arena along with everyone else, mm. we feel oppressed. Mm. It's their difference born or inherited or just acquired, whatever it is, or just ideologically picked up when they were kids or students or something, you know, they pick up stuff in school. They start to tell themselves, you know, tales about uh, what my identity is. It's not that. That's mm -hmm. the majority. They're square. Mm -hmm. I'm different. Mm -hmm. And they start to wear it on their sleeves and then they really start to believe it and they start to feel oppressed just by the presence of that majority. Mm. Which is, and they're always going to be a majority. Which is the the great un the great the great unwashed, right? Yeah. The lower classes or the less educated classes, or whatever, and you have this kind of more the the the, the intelligentsia, let's say, the the educated classes and stuff. And I mean, it's it's as old as I don't know how old it is, but it's certainly hundreds and hundreds of years old. Were or or or, or more were, that idea was that the, the, the idea that the, the great masses of the relatively uneducated and relatively poor people are dangerous 
and that you should never allow them to take control or to have too much say in society because it's the smarter people who have to you know, direct the, the course of society because these uneducated people just don't know what they're doing. They have very basic instincts and very basic needs and they can get worked up now and again. You have to keep them controlled and down. That's a super ba- super basic idea of, of, of governance, right? right. And you don't t- they don't talk about it very much because it doesn't sound very good, but that's the reality on the ground, you know? But it seems that, and I'd say it's probably true throughout history, that at a particular times of, of like problems or crises, crises in a country, those people are actually, they're the ones at the coalface. They're the ones who perceive the problems most acutely and are in the best position... To fix them. To, well, to, not just to fix them, but to address those problems or to, or to highlight those problems and to, uh, to, to, to express uh, or to, to, to explain what... The, the what's needed to, to solve the problem. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because if those people are having a bad time and like they're, they're the majority, if they're really not happy and the conditions in which they're living are not good, they're going to complain about it and they should be listened to because of the majority of society because if you have the majority of, of people in a population who are very unhappy, then all of society will ultimately suffer. Mm-hmm. So it, 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 it's, it's not true. You know what I mean? There's... Okay, the rabble who gets out of hand and goes on riots and all that kind of starts rioting and wrecking the place. They want to tear it all down. That's where they get the idea of this great unwashed who are who are a threat to to, to society. But it's it's not as simple as that. You have to look at the conditions that were created by usually by from 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 the top created the conditions that were created that caused those people to be uh, in dire straits and caused them to go go. Uh, Go crazy or go or start rioting or have some kind of a some some kind of mass protests, you know. Yeah. Um, well, ironically, you're talking about riots and who would you know actually set everything aflame? That's the other side. <laughs> Today, yeah. Today, they're the they're they're only a couple of steps removed from the ones with actual power. Yes, the rioters, but they're the ones the rioting type. The, those people, like, and you're talking here about fairly radical. Yeah extreme left left leaning types who like we're talking about here that were running twitter they seem to be pushing from their positions of power and influence pushing policies on society and again it has to be said in in coordination with at least in this case the Biden administration you could say maybe also the Obama administration before them they're pushing policies that seem to be aimed at dividing society and exacerbating fracture points in society and pissing off 50% of the population in order to create that kind of a situation where you would have the underclasses rising up and, and roaring with each other. So they don't see them... They're, not, they're up in their ideological kind of like uh, uh, castles in a certain sense, castles in the air they've built for themselves where they're, they're pining on... Like this guy, Ewell Roth, wanted to... He, he's explicit about he, how he, his vision was... His goal in life was to change society for the better from a very particular perspective, very particular slant. Mm. And, he, and we, we talked about it already where he talks about harm to primarily uh, minority groups and not any minority groups, but transgender, homo, uh, gay, transgender, LGBTQ, whatever, blah, blah, blah. ABC, That's his yeah. focus, right? Yeah. Um, and promoting all of the stuff that you see a full 50% or more of American society or Western society, particularly America, who are, that are not happy with that 
trajectory in society. And it all, a lot of it seems to revolve around children. Children yes. being exposed to the ideology that people like Yoel Roth uh, ex- uh, are exponents of. This hasn't come up explicitly yet in the Twitter files, but while this is all going on, people who have either been, I don't know, activists or high-profile people with big Twitter followings have been, and not people who do normally pop up on the right, have been, I've seen their tweets thanking Elon Musk for doing something, quote, about the child porn problem on Twitter, which is apparently almost, almost gone. I didn't know how bad it was before, but apparently it's something like 10 million views of child porn a week or something were taking place on Twitter until the last few weeks. Mm-hmm. All those people who resigned in outrage and all their stuff about the rights of minorities and safety and harm, they couldn't do anything about the problem or wouldn't or didn't want to or liked it. I mean, where is it? They were consciously aware of it, but either way, all the stuff about harm, the rhetoric, the the gap, the cognitive leap that you have to take between what they say about harms to minorities and the actual harms that were taking place under their noses that they didn't, by their actions, seem to care one whit about. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, what was it? Today's the 11th, so the 10th yesterday. uh, Musk, uh, just on that that point, Musk uh, tweeted... This, I mean, you have to hand it to him. Like, I mean, at this point, I mean, people hold back on Musk and say, "Well, what's his agenda and all that kind of stuff." But the more he, you know, pushes for, uh, the more he tweets and says explicitly certain things, the more you have to assume that he's a real deal. You can you can argue that he's wrong or he's on the wrong track, or whatever. But he seems to be convinced um, of his own perspective. You know that, and he's got a very firm, very solid kind of take on this whole thing. This tweet yesterday says, looks like Yoel, he's talking about Yoel... Um, Roth. Roth, the uh, former safety and something at Twitter. It uh, looks like Yoel is arguing in favour of children being able to access adult inter- internet services in his PhD thesis. Um, yeah, and that's a, a reasonable interpretation of the that excerpt, of, excerpt from his PhD thesis. Um or something like how the, the gay dating site Grinder may not officially allow under 18s, but let's all deal with the social fact that minors are there. Right. So leave him be or something. That could be that could be interpreted both ways. He's not necessarily you're not catching him, you know, mm-hmm. red handed advocating it explicitly, <clears throat> more like objectively taking stock of the situation. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't look good. You uh, know, the, the problem yeah, is like right. that, that guy, Yul Roth, he's obviously, he's gay and um, obviously there's a, a a strong kind of um, fraternity, let's say, between the gay community and, uh, well, they're included obviously in the LGBTQ, that whole community, right, from one end, from the whole spectrum, let's say, you know. Um, and you know, they see themselves as minority. Obviously, you know, they see themselves as minority, a minority in society. They are a minority in society, but they see themselves as an oppressed minority in society, historically and today, and they have to fight for their rights and all that kind of stuff. And that's why whole gay pride, gay activism, all that kind of stuff has been going on for many decades. And today that extends into transgenderism and all that kind of stuff. Um, but, so they see themselves as having to protect, protect themselves, their people, their in-group, Right. Uh, and promote the 
normal normality of 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 themselves and their own in group and their their their, their beliefs and their way of life, etc. Let's say, <coughs> but would it be reasonable to suggest, like based on what uh, Moss just tweeted there about Roth promoting, um, what did he say exactly? Promoting. Um, just put it back up there, Scotty, would you? No, I got it here. Uh, arguing in favour of children being able to access adult internet internet services. Would you be able to? Would you? Would it be reasonable to suggest that people like Yol Roth um, are in their ideology, their in-group ideology, are are part of their in-group ideology is to um, get them when they're young, basically? Oh, they've stated explicitly. Some some of them. As academics, huh? mm. yeah, yeah. So part of the agenda of rehabilitating, let's say, uh, such as uh, to whatever extent that is still necessary to rehabilitate ho- yeah. homosexuality and transgenderism, etc., in society and make it That's absolutely normal that they perceive that not just as a as a thing among adults, but rather something to get uh, instilled well, into children. They believe and not just homosexual or transgender, or whatever children, but children across society all have to be. Uh, educated, trained, acclimatized to the normal nature of homosexuality, transgenderism, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, 100%. They believe the majority is sick and that they're going to heal them. They're mm. going to heal them by getting the young because the adults, their parents are... Right. Yeah, they might, they, say, they say they're on our side, many of them, but we don't believe them. Mm. So we're, we're, we're getting the, the kids. Right. Um, but that's... I mean, that, that's, that, that's why you've got drag, drag shows in schools yeah. and stuff. But I mean that is Sex very, very clearly in the in the context of the globe and the way the world and the Western world, let's say, but the world in general, I would say, because you could apply it across the world. That's in the context of the way the world is made up today, and the way people are today, and the history of human beings in the, in the, you know over the past you know whatever, however long you want to go back, but certainly in the modern era, trying to do that is very, very clearly going to cause serious social uh, disturbances. If if to, to the extent that they achieve significant progress on it, and they seem to be achieving significant progress and have uh, support, active support from this currently the, the Biden administration, let's say in America, but also other European countries, governments of other European countries, they have their support in doing that. So the government has to be governments in those countries has to be seen as complicit in doing something in pursuing a social uh, policy that targets children with um, messaging about homosexuality and transgenderism and attempting to... It's a fine line between encouraging children in these countries to believe that it's normal so that they're not prejudiced against it. That's the idea. But there's a line there where you start to encourage that ideology or that orientation in the children themselves. 100%. But 20% of children in the United States today consider themselves gay of but some type on the spectrum. That is going to very clearly cause serious backlash from parents if they, when they see that their children, if they come to the realization that their children are, are being propagandized, not just about any topic, any kind of political belief or, or whatever, but rather about their own personal sexual 
orientation, which has implications for the rest of that child's life. I mean, don't touch our children, basically. I mean, yeah. you know what I mean? It's like, who, who doesn't see that that is a recipe for disaster? Yeah. And how can, given that, how can governments not participate in it? How, how can governments promote it? You know, they're, maybe they're laboring under the idea that this is just to kind of like do away with discrimination so you get well-rounded children who aren't homophobic or transphobic or whatever. But when it crosses that line into actually influencing those children to the point that they make d- decisions about their own sexuality on the basis of early programming, that's... How could any government support that? Because it's going to cause social... Already is, big time. Outrage. And, you know, m- many of them are messed up in the head. Many of them. I'm not going to say all of them, but many of them are. When they're going to the shows and stuff with kids, a number of them have been arrested for child molestation. Hmm. They, they cannot help themselves. This is part of the problem here of separating. It's just words. It's just ideas, ideology, just to acclimatize them to it. Yeah, but many of you cannot help yourselves. Your predilections are crossing a line where you're encouraging, you know, sexual contact with them. Just touch my crotch here kind of thing. And there's photos of it all over Twitter, for God's sake. Mm. This happens week after week mm. in, in places, in cafes and wherever they meet, schools in the United States. Um, People, it's, it's, yeah, I can see how they feel that they have to do that. For example, take, take just homosexuality and heterosexuality. Say you have a heterosexual, obviously the majority of kids are heterosexual. From the point of view of these uh, gay pride uh, activists, activists—that's the word—activists, they would re- if, if they if they see if they believe that children should be encouraged to 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 see it as, to see homosexuality as normal from a fairly young age, then uh, by definition they're going to want to encourage that child to believe that, and if it's a male child, for example, that male child is going to be encouraged to, like, for example, touch, to see the touch, uh, he as a male, touching the genitals of another male is okay. Because that transfers then to homosexuality. That's the definition of male homosexuality, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know what I mean? You can see how it makes sense to them, but you can also see how how it would potentially, at at a very vulnerable age uh, and a child's development influence that child's sexual potentially influence that child's sexual orientation well, like I said 20% now consider themselves uh, how many of them leave teenage years still thinking such probably a lot less Yeah. but uh, the, the grip it has on people is it's huge and how far can this go well with government's encouragement it's going to go as far as some kind of physical violence in a big way. We've mm. seen there was a backlash in a Virginia school, was it Virginia, um, mm. where people were I can't remember the name of it, but they were. In fact, Matt Tybee reported on it because it was covered up the extent of the backlash in the area. It kind of led to the election of a Republican senator in Virginia in in twenty twenty, I think, or in a mm-hmm. by election, whatever. It, here, in contrast to this, last week. Headline, Russia passes law banning, quote, LGBT propaganda among adults. The one against minors is well known. Mm -hmm. That's what kick-started the gay bashing propaganda against Russia back in 2013 on the eve of the Sochi Winter Olympics. You remember that? Mm -hmm. Because they 
said, okay, you're not coming down into schools, kids. Not officially, anyway. We know shit that happens. You know, there are minor minors who have gay predispositions. So on. we're not saying that, you know, sodomy is illegal. There is no anti-gay law in Russia, per se. Mm-hmm. You're not excluded from society on account of your sexuality. Mm-hmm. But you're not coming to the schools. That was the law 10 years ago. Well, now they pushed one among adults. Uh, Bill criminalizes promotion of non-traditional sexual relations. Um, is that is that a backlash? Or is that... Backlash. I mean, Russia hasn't been subjected to... Because, in part, because of this older law from 10 years ago, Russia hasn't gone through this to the same extent as the West... Um, is it just an anti-Western statement? Or given that this is all in the air and it's hard to say where exactly mm-hmm. it's... Well, it's primarily coming from the United States. Mm-hmm. They do see it as that. Um, yeah. So th- that'll be everything. The, even among consenting adults, they're clamping down on the, prop- the propagandizing of the waving the rainbow flag I presume that affects gay parades or even any in Russia at this point probably not hmm. um, yeah back to the, the Twitter files uh, just an example of the bias here that we were talking about earlier on here's um, this 42 um, in I think it's um, 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 part 3 um, so um just loading. So this is an example of, we just mentioned the fact that they were, for example, they were censoring, Twitter was censoring uh, Stop the Steal, hashtag Stop the Steal. Um, but there was another hashtag Steal Our Votes, which was being promo- pushed by anti-Trumpers. And that hashtag, um, if you just click on the, uh, on the first one on the left there, uh, this is... Uh, I don't know who the person is, but check with your local USPS folks to see how slow the mail is. Also find out when mail-in ballots must arrive in your state, but mostly vote as soon as possible. Trump and his new, uh, and Amy Coney Barrett, his new uh, Supreme Court appointee, will try to steal our votes, so our numbers have to be huge. Um, So that was somebody, um, you know, promoting on the anti-Trumper, pro-Biden, Promoting the idea worried that about the, election that the government was in the going other direction. right, saying that the election was going to be stolen, and to tell people to get and vote. And then on the right, you have the Twitter discussion about it. Um, again, that top top person, first person, um, or second person is Joel Roth. First guy says, "Hi team, can I get a second opinion for this?" And that was the tweet you just saw, and he was leaning towards labeling it. And then Roth says, "Not seeing the violation here," and then the. <laughs> Of course he isn't. <laughs> of course you're not seeing the violation here because it's uh, anti-Trump. Uh, the hashtag or, or tweet about um, stealing the election. And then another guy, well, I wouldn't label. I think it's encouraging people to vote. <laughs> so you see how they just like interpret what whatever way they, whatever the bias yeah. suggests, they interpret the, the, te- the text of anything or the, the context of anything in, in that way, you know. Uh, it was even, I think, did I have one here about Eric Holder? Um. Yeah, this one. Um, it's on the same topic. Eric Holder was the former 
was he at the time? I don't know if he was the attorney general. Under uh, Obama, yeah. Yeah. For, uh, so Obama's attorney general, Eric Holder, uh, claimed the U.S. Postal Service was deliberately crippled, ostensibly by the Trump administration. He was initially hit with a generic warning label, but was quickly taken off by Roth. Just click on the left one. There's a tweet from Eric Holder at the time, October 27, 2020, so like a couple of weeks before the actual election. He said, it's too late to use the mails. Given Supreme Court rulings, I urge everyone to now vote in person. Early vote or use, or use drop boxes. Protect your health, but don't let the court and the, and the deliberately crippled postal service deprive you of your most precious, precious civil right. So he's basically saying that Trump administration had deliberately cri- crippled the USPS. Uh, to subvert the election. Uh, to subvert the election. And then the next tweet, if you just screwed over to the right... Um, uh, Roth then hey folks can we reverse the label he actually asked there was a label put on that because Holder was saying like claiming that the Trump administration had deliberately crippled the US Postal Service and he says so some they put a label on it as you know probably misinformation or, or whatever or, or that label that says see how elections are fair and yeah. free and then Yoel comes in and says do we want can we take that label off this because it's pretty much a legitimate uh, concern you know Everything in it is factually accurate. I, I at Twitter, am declaring that it is factually ac- factually accurate that President Trump is trying to subvert the election, right, by crippling the U.S. Postal Service. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, and again, we kind of I give you a summation there later on about what the kind of take home message. But this is uh, again, this is from Matt Tybee. Um, by the way, it, subsequent to the election. Twitter was removing any posts showing evidence of U.S. postal workers or testimony from U.S. postal workers about fraud. Right. After they got the result they wanted. No, right. no, no, no. Ban, ban, delete, right. delete, delete. It's a subjective clown show. Anyway, so this is Matt Taibbi saying uh, just yesterday, uh, the tweets beforehand, it was all, they were all necessary background to J6. Basically, those tweets that he was talking about previously, the background was just how Twitter was going about, uh, you know, interpreting... Um, Tweets from different sides, how subjective interpretation, bias interpretation of different tweets by different people, and how they're setting up Trump to be to basically be to ban Trump because this 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 thread um, uh, on the Twitter files is about leading up to the banning of Trump on January eighth, I think, on the uh, two days after the election, and how they after the right the after, after the insurrection. insurrection and how they actually went about doing that. They actually ended up like like basically Trump was banned on Twitter. Without there being any actual violations of Twitter rules, he did not viol- any, mm. violate any of the official Twitter rules. But it was they were maneuvering over the pe- this period of a few weeks to get him in a position where they could use anything yeah. to ban him, and yeah. they did use ultimately any infringement at all was a ban, even though certain infringements w- were not bannable offences, others were. But it took a lot to, uh, to, to be banned. But they. Twisted around and said, "Well, look, looked at in the broader context, context of the last four of the years. whole four years, then this should be interpreted as something that could possibly lead to some direct harm in society. Therefore, he needs to be banned." Um, but he just says, "Before the riots, the company, i.e., Twitter, was engaged in an inherently insane, impossible project, trying to create an ever-expanding, ostensibly rational set of rules to regulate every conceivable speech situation that might arise between humans." An inherently insane. And he project. says, and underneath this prospect, 
This project was preposterous, yet its leaders were unable to see this, having become infected with groupthink, coming to believe sincerely that it was Twitter's responsibility to control as much as possible what people could talk about, how often, and with whom. Yep. Bizarre. There's an overall trajectory. If you want to talk about context, this is what the government always believed about itself, to control what people talk about, think about, with whom. And then the media, of course, think that too. And then what happened with social media was they began to lose that. Mm. People were discussing without them. Yeah. <laughs> and they realized after 20, 2016, holy shit, we're like being pushed out to irrelevancy here. We need to get back in. Mm. And the Twitter files show the evolution, the gradual progress of the ideologically inclined execs getting hired somehow taking it over with groupthink, but also liaising explicitly with the FBI behind the back of the sitting president. Because that was the, one of the things, the counter, counter, uh, mm -hmm. counters that were offered after the first Twitter files were released. Oh, but hold on a minute. Who was the president of the administration when this started? It was Donald Trump. So he was the one censored. <laughs> yeah. They found no evidence of requests from Trump, from, from the Trump campaign yeah. uh, in, in the latter days of it in 2020 to censor or to downgrade any any tweets. They, haven't, they don't say that they're not saying that there aren't some there that they don't exist. They just say that in all the, the tech, all of the um, the files that have been looked at so far, it's been all from the Biden administration or the Democrat Democrat um, Biden campaign or the Democrat Party and the FBI, of course, and the, and the Department of Homeland Security. Basically, the the deep state, Washington establishment, they were the ones who were, uh, and of course, you know. <coughs> Twitter was crawling with uh, FBI, uh, former FBI officials, it seems. Uh, there's someone, I can't, I don't have it right now, but I, I saw it, someone del just went to Twitter's, um, uh, still there today, actually, Twitter's list of m mostly insecurity and stuff, but uh, I mean, maybe it's not so strange, but an awful, there's something like 20 or 25 uh, employees who are all former, long-term former FBI agents. We looked at that. One of them was a well-known neocon, right. an author on the, Pinak document. Right. Remember him? Um, I think he has a mustache as well, but it's not it's not Wallace Faith Bolton. Uh, redhead ginger dude. And yeah, but for me the <laughs> that James Baker who kickstarts Russiagate mm -hmm. with false claims that Trump was colluding with Russia in the lead up to twenty sixteen election. In 2020, becomes a, a, a top lawyer for Twitter, such that last week he's the one vetting. Like that is you're talking about a deep state and the placement of people. Mm -hmm. That's more than just someone ideologically inclined who winds up like Joe Roth somehow in a high position at Twitter. That's conscious insertion of our people mm -hmm. in an organization, and under his nose in direct violation of the clear intention of what Twitter, uh, Musk's Twitter is trying to do here, mm -hmm. tries to hamper it, thwart it, derail it, block it. Of course, he's caught easily, but still, it really, it really tells you something. People, remember how people complained, people who are, say, pro-Trump complained, why didn't Trump come in and, you know, he should have come in and drained the swamp mm -hmm. in 2016. And, you know, by 2020, it would have been partially sorted and he'd been reelected. And then in his next term, he could have finished draining the swamp. Mm -hmm. And he was just too much of a sissy. He couldn't do it. He wasn't good enough. He hired all the usual faces from Washington. 
Well, he did, true, but he also tried to hire some new people on day one of his interim regime. So, in other words, before the actual transition takes place, part of what kick-started Russiagate was Michael Flynn. Yeah. Michael Flynn was going to be head of the National Security Council, mm-hmm. which is a deep state organ mm-hmm. added after 1945. Mm-hmm. Trump knew that. So that's conscious awareness on Trump's part. I need to have control of that position. Mm-hmm. As soon as Flynn is um, the, what do they call it? The president's, you know, president, commander-in-chief in waiting. Anyway, Flynn is the NSC director in waiting. Mm-hmm. So he's like, well, my brief, okay, I've got my brief. I'm not officially there yet, but convention says I'm now allowed to start working yeah. and talking to people. So he has a phone call with the Russian ambassador. Boom, FBI comes in with this report, uh, Mr. President, you know, and they, they shape it. He knows he's being, you know, he's being messed with to get rid of Flynn, but they shape it in such a way with leaks mm-hmm. and insinuations and so on that Trump is left with no choice but to say to Flynn, sorry. Mm-hmm. I can't, I can't have the other team. Yeah, that's him. And then less than two months into the actual regime, his White House chief of staff, Michael uh, Steve Bannon, boom, mm-hmm. he tried, he couldn't. You're just surrounded by people who are so they're they're they're, um, they're, they're officially they've shook in your hand. And say yes, I'm on board with what you're doing, and I'll help to push things as you want them. Then they leave the room with you. Mm-hmm. And they make calls, leak to the press, and, and do exactly the opposite in the room next door. Mm-hmm. How can you deal with people like that? <laughs> and yeah. lying comes to them so easily because they believe that they're on the right side of history, yada, yada, that they have uh, a higher mission. Mm-hmm. It's to stop Trump, thwart Trump, whatever. And the same goes here with this Baker guy and whoever else will be around Musk, you know? Mm-hmm. Musk's in a different position, though. This isn't quite a repeat because Twitter isn't the government. He has a lot more control over it for now. Um, probably want to leave this topic, but can we go back to Elon Musk's Twitter page? Can you go to the just, – just to his page? So the last few tweets, there's the one that you said was your favorite tweet of all time. But there's a few other follow-ups to that that are worth looking at. Um this is this is kind of more in line of what I was saying last week. Of Musk is waving a red rag at these people. Um, okay, so that's his pin tweet, latest Twitter files. That's the one. My pronouns are prosecute Fauci. Carry on. Um, the one I'm thinking of is oh, it's a Fauci meme, so it should be yeah. an image. Scroll, Scroll down. down. Oh. Yeah, this one. This is from five. This is today. That's. <laughs> Fauci has warm tongue. Yeah, he's not the holding Biden back. Thing, you know? Just one more lockdown, my king. Okay, scroll down. There's more. Um, he says Twitter was a warm tongue to the world. Mm-hmm. This is beyond just what the meme says, that Fauci was a warm tongue to, well, to Trump more than Biden, I suppose. But Twitter was warm tongue to the world. In other words, the whole company and platform was subverted, basically. Mm-hmm. Um Oh, one more. Scroll down. <clears throat> he no, keep going. Obviously, he's promoting his other business interests, SpaceX and so on. This is funny. The meme's funny, but um, the tweet below that. Yeah, Twitter is both a social media company and a crime scene. 
Yep. So I don't know what they're doing, but we'll see. There's, they, they have ways, as as Chuck Schumer said about Trump, where the CIA has six ways from Sundays, um, not necessarily involving physical threat or harm. Probably, they're probably going to come to the, the back si- door. That is one of the six ways. It is one of the six ways. To get back at you. Um, he's got nine children, Musk. Hmm. You've got kids. You're, you're already he stopped, exposed. He stopped sending autographs. He said there a few days ago that he was, uh, he said that he's, you know, on, on um, one of those, one of those kind of discussions, Zoom discussions he had with a bunch yeah. of different people, Kim.com and people like that, uh, just about the Twitter files when they first came out. He, he mentioned that, you know, he's, um, you know, that the threat to him had increased or whatever and he won't be taking any uh, open top uh Open top car rides through Dallas, <coughs> mm-hmm. so um, yeah, he's aware of it. You know, I mean, crazy, crazy what we're living. That's again, they're all open secrets, right? Uh, yeah. uh, but, but no, no one talks a, about them. It's a throwaway comment. Everyone knows what he's referring to, right? Most even his detractors are, would agree with him. Yeah, and yet we all just move on, like <laughs> yeah. So I mean, the fact that that's that's. Effect for a lot of people that's common knowledge today that Elon Musk for exposing the deep state or the Washington establishment and their connivance to suppress free speech in their own interests with Twitter um, that for exposing them he then is potentially his life is in danger from them i.e. they could have someone and of course you're talking about FBI intel agencies here and political operatives, that that's normal, that that's accepted as, yeah, well, yes, it's probably a reasonable suggestion that he might be killed by those people. Who are those people? They're the same people who killed JFK, effectively. Or their descendants, so to speak. Yeah, the same, t- the same type of people who killed, killed JFK. So, again, you know, <laughs> it's just bizarre. It's like schizophrenic, yeah. you know? It's like, or, or I don't know, what the psychological term is not bipolar it's, it's just it's bizarre to, to, it's like living in two uh, it's living in, a, in, a, in a, uh, an objective reality that isn't very pleasant but keeping a veneer of freedom and democracy and everything's fine over the front of it you just nervously laugh and carry on and whenever yeah, anyone well, mentions the things the, the quiet yeah, part out yeah, loud yeah but we're just meant to pretend all meant to pretend and go along with the narrative, and politicians keep repeating the bullshit narrative. You know that we have a wonderful democracy and a wonderful free society when it's clearly not the case. Um, yeah. Well, it's on that point, I mean, talking about <coughs> Western countries going down <coughs> down the tube. Just throw that one up, Scotty. I think I sent it to you today. Um, you see this Al- Alberta and Canada. That's in a Western uh, province, one of Can- Canada's Western provinces. Alberta Sovereignty Act. It sets the province on collision course with Justin Trudeau. Um, it's a bill that would allow the province to ignore federal laws, as, of course, criticised by constitutional scholars and ind- indigenous leaders. Of course, they throw the indigenous leader in there. But anyway, uh, <clears throat> Alberta has passed a controversial sovereignty act that would allow the province to ignore federal laws, setting the stage for a combative relationship with the Canadian Prime Minister Trudeau. Uh, so it's the governing United Conservative Party in Alberta um, passed the bill um, 
and only after stripping away a contentious provision that would have allowed the provincial cabinet the power to bypass the legislature and rewrite laws. Basically, this is the kind of brainchild or the work of this woman who's in the picture there. Uh, she's the Premier of Alberta, was uh, sworn in this year, Danielle Smith. She's a Conservative, and it's basically an outcome of the whole COVID situation that, to a certain extent, is ongoing in Canada and how Trudeau ran roughshod over civil liberties during the whole COVID era, and particularly with the, the Canadian uh, truckers <coughs> movement, yeah. etc., basically freezing their bank accounts and calling them terrorists. And the Emergency and Powers Act. And homophobes. And the Emergency Powers Act. All of that authoritarian, draconian, totalitarian kind of legisl- or, you know, policies that Trudeau uh, employed to shut down any dissent, any, um, any uh, protest at at those policies by the Canadian people and those policies went on way longer than uh, most other places in the Western world yeah. um, and in Alberta which is a traditionally kind of conservative um, province of Canada they were particularly oil uh, province particularly unhappy about it and I th- this seems to be an outcome of that basically where this uh, uh, this um, sovereignty act uh, seeks to allow Alberta to at any point in the future where Trudeau, that nutjob, would would uh, seek to impose similar draconian policies on all of uh, all states within Canada, that at least Alberta would be able to say, you know what, Trudeau, Trudeau stick your policies up your mangina, and um, <laughs> we're not doing it, you know? I mean, that's the only conclusion. I mean, yeah. that that's the... Secession. Secession... <coughs> um, it's the next logical step when you've nowhere else to go. If, if, if yeah, ultimately you don't have an opposition voice that can at least mitigate mm-hmm. some of the extremes. You're told you're a despicable, deplorable, racist, and homophobe. Mm-hmm. No, I'm a serious politician representing a constituency over here. Go home, you deplorable person. So it's the next logical step: secession of some type. Yeah, at least a partial secession where you exempt yourself. That's kind of what's it's kind of a different situation in the European Union, but it is similar-ish. And for example, the way Hungary is standing up to Brussels. Um, mm-hmm. Currently, they have within the current legal system, the current system of treaties, they have right to do that. But Brussels is trying to become more federal. Mm-hmm. For example, the counter now, the counter push is to remove the veto. There'll be no right. veto of any small countries. If a majority of us big, bigger Western European countries decide, that's it. It's mandated yeah. across the EU. Do it or else. So um, so there was on the 5th, which was six days ago now, they, they had the oil price, the, the famous, we talked about it last week, but the famous devastating Russian oil price cap of sixty dollars, uh, and I laughed at it last week. I was like, "Yeah, it's with sixty dollars or five percent below market value." And I'm like, "Ooh, five percent below market value—that's horrible." It's a joke, you know. These people are just—it's uh, just—it's um, virtue signaling, basically. Um, and not only that, not only is that does that allow them? Obviously, I mean, Russia said they won't sell it to anybody who who imposes who wants it at this price cap price. Although Putin himself has said, well, the price cap doesn't mean anything because it's pretty much at, at, the, at the level that we're selling uh, oil at now anyway. So it doesn't make any difference. So it was chosen at that, at that, at that price, at that $60 or 5% below. 5% isn't going to do anything, obviously, to, uh, to Russian uh, revenue from, from oil and fossil fuels in general. 
Um, but um, there's there's more uh, because there's a loophole. If you just put that up, Scotty. Uh, there's a loophole that lets Russian oil into Britain through the back door. So Russian oil at <laughs> standard market prices, when we've talked about this before, I think this has been around for anybody with any sense knows that this has been happening all along, um, including with gas, actually. But it's basically rebranding. Yeah. If you, Russia, Russia sells crude oil to any any particular country, and if any work is done on oil, any further refining is done on the oil in that country, uh, then it's branded as coming from that country. Um, so again, the point about, I suppose the main point about this is that all of the sanctions, the sanctions against Russian oil and gas, etc., is, we've said this before, that they're, it's obviously pushed primarily by the US, pushed on Europe by the US because the US isn't really reliant uh, on Russian fossil fuels, oil or gas, but Europe was heavily reliant on them, still is. So America pushed it on Europe in order to achieve, well, you could say to, to attempt to achieve in part its you know, geopolitical objectives, but primarily it was a money-making scheme because, as we know, Europe is now has kind of switched its to some extent switched its dependence on Russian gas to on to American gas, and Americans American gas companies American government are loving it because we're getting all that money that was going to Russia before. So it's purely a money grab. It's not it, that's as far as the ideology really goes. Um, so, but so the interesting thing is that Europe went along with this, but it doesn't. It does have downsides because Europe has cut itself off from cheap, cheaper and easily access, more easily accessible, more quickly accessible Russian gas in favour of American LNG, which is six times the price and has to be sent overseas and takes longer to get there. And there's, it's not as plentiful, let's say. There's not an unlimited supply of LNG for all of European needs. So there are problems being experienced in Europe uh, in terms of supply and it's their own doing. Now, why would European governments do that? Why would they cut themselves off knowing? I mean, they're very clear about this. They know clearly that they were going to cut themselves off, cut off their supply from plentiful, cheap Russian gas and put themselves in a much more difficult, much more dicey position in terms of having enough gas and oil to fuel the economy and fuel, fuel people's whole homes and to keep people warm in winter. That's the end result. They have to have known that. They did know that. I can say that almost categorically, that they clearly knew that that's what they were going to do uh-huh. and that the end result of what they were doing was not going to affect Russia to any great extent. What it was going to affect was the ordinary citizens of Europe in terms of being able to, well, at the level of industry, keep their businesses going, keep industry going, and at the level of individual homes and individual uh, citizens, heat their homes and ultimately maybe get access to food uh, and to fuel cars and that kind of stuff, but in wintertime, heat themselves. Um, and that's what governments have chosen to do. Yeah. Uh, why? <sighs> well, Macron explicitly gave a presidential TV address in which he said, the end of the age of abundance is upon us. This was yeah. early fall, October, maybe September. Mm-hmm. Now, we've since heard him speak and he was in Washington like last week for a big, you know, state dinner, France, U.S. We're still together. You know, Biden gave him an attaboy. Mm. 
all the usual. Of course, the, we've also heard the French to, since complain about we yeah. don't like this, and yet, what do they do about it? They turn around, ultimately, they tell the population, we have to get used to just it. Just suck it up, yeah. Ultimately, we can't do anything about it. Like this, this one, for example, uh, from a couple of days ago, um, warm banks in London. Do you, ever have a, do you ever have a warm bank in London, in any winter in London beforehand? I did now, thanks to the BBC. So at the cost, as the cost of living rises and winter sets in, several London, London councils have a, and, and organisations are opening up warm banks to help people through the colder months. A warm bank or space is a public venue, such as a library or church, anyone can visit for free if they are struggling to heat their home. Most London councils have confirmed that they will be running a warm bank scheme. So where can you find them? Well, here's a list of places where you can find them all throughout the, the UK. The so, Germans announced that even six months ago. I mean, they, they give it this funny name, Warm Bank, but it's basically a library or a church or something that they're going to, you know, add extra heating to or something. And you can go and warm yourself up. And I mean... Now, God help people. That's pretty bad where they actually feel the need to do that. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. There's obviously a significant, enough amount of, a significant enough number of people in the UK. I mean, on the list below, it's like there's about two dozen different towns and cities uh, across the UK who are running these, these these places for people to go in and try and keep warm. I mean, you have to be in pretty dire straits. Yeah. So this, this is an example of sanctions against Russia biting. Take that. They're not me. biting Russians. They're biting Brits and Europeans. Yeah. And is that, how can you say that wasn't by design? It's either an unbelievable level of fecklessness on the part of governments who just couldn't have foreseen this when it was like basically an A plus B equals C situation, or it's by design. I mean, most, the most rational explanation is that it was by design. They're doing this on purpose. Here's how it could get worse. What if they declare lockdowns this winter and you can't leave your home, that you can't heat? Go to a store that's not well stocked. I think it'd be riots in that situation. I don't think. I know you think logically <clears throat> they won't do that. They're not that irrational, but they're talking about it. COVID yeah. measures coming back. I think they want to avoid situations where, to the bit, to the greatest extent possible, uh, they want to avoid situations where there's mass rioting. But they want to bring people along in a controlled kind of way and slowly turn up the temperature or turn down the temperature to slowly squeeze them so that they don't react. They normalise it. They have a rationale for mm. it. It's Putin did this. Oh, woe is me. Well, my government's just trying to do the best they can and we're all in this together. So there's no need for rioting. But I they want to put you in that position where ordinarily you would riot if you realised the situation. You would protest seriously on the streets if you realised that this was done deliberately. But they're trying to keep people in that kind of like, um, you know, tractor beam or a bubble or a, um, where they don't recognise that because they have a different narrative for it. Well, Macron felt compelled to give an interview this week in which he appealed to the French population not to panic. Yeah. <laughs> We're at that point, you know, please don't panic. There's no need for panic. Really, people. Yeah. It was that kind of lecturing down that don't, don't be panicking. That just doesn't help anyone. Yeah. He's either feeling panic himself or they're aware that, you know, I don't know, mm. French... I'm a bit confused with the French. They rioted in 2018 over the threat of an increased surcharge for greening the planet on their gas fuel, on their car fuel. Mm-hmm. Um, practically a rebellion. Um, they've been quiet since, though. Mm. I think like everyone else, they're just kind of deer in the headlights. But 
It's going to come to a pass. If not in France, maybe in Germany. What the hell happened in Germany this week? Um, a royalist plot to overthrow the government was announced by German media Wednesday, I think. Um, geez, I don't know. I, this story is just bonkers. It's, bon it's bonkers to everyone, though. <clears throat> I don't, even like, you know, centrist, uh, pro-regime people. Let's put this one up. This is from Deutsche Welle, Germany's, one of its English-language international outlets. German police arrest 25 suspects in plot to overthrow state. <laughs> is this like the January 6th riot? Oh, January, January 6th interaction? It's funny you mentioned that. Somebody did bring that up. They're, raising a ground, uh, they're waging a ground war on, uh, on the entire mainland America. Um. They, the authorities did explicitly cite that as part of the rationale. But anyway, here's the rough facts on it so far. A nationwide raid against 25 suspected members and supporters of a terrorist organization. Oh, well, blimey. Who are they? Um, arrested Wednesday. A wider right-wing movement. Okay, a terrorist organization, wider right-wing. Okay, that's pretty open. Um well-established with a concrete plan to overthrow the German state by force and install a new government. Okay. <clears throat> I could draw up a concrete plan. It doesn't say it here. Maybe it will further down. Anyway, they had 3,000 police involved uh, executing 20-something warrants. The arrest uh, numbers actually since then has gone up to 52 people arrested. Um. They raided 130 properties. Um, a couple of the rest took place in, in other countries. Okay. So who are they? Oh, well, two ringleaders identified. One of them is named. Um, I kid you not. His name is um, Prince Heinrich VIII Royce. Royce? I'm not sure how you pronounce that word. Of Greitz. Some like... He has royal heritage. He's like an aristocrat, aristocratic family. And someone else, a Reudiger von someone, they won't name who it is. Um, so this Prince Heinrich fella is a well-known 71-year-old member of a minor German noble family, while the latter, this Reudiger, was a 69-year-old former paratrooper. Okay, mm -hmm. well, there's a military connection there. Um... A Russian woman, last paragraph there, Vitalia B, not named, had allegedly given him help with contacting the Russian government. The Russian embassy in Berlin denied having links to forward terror groups. Um, the Russians did it. Explicitly, they were trying to contact Russia to help establish a new order in Germany once the Berlin government was overthrown. Um, some other people have been named, and like there's like celebrities involved. A celebrity chef... Somebody who is um, celebrity chef. Somebody who's the the girlfriend of a football player for Real Madrid Football Club. Um, she's an Austrian national. That might have been the arrest in Austria. Um, okay, so you like you read the details and they say, well, this organization. Oh, there it is in the first paragraph here. Um, the chief prosecutor said that this organization, terrorist organization, had formed around this um, Heinrich fella and his ex-paratrooper at the end of November 2021. So it's, barely, it's a year old. 
And then you're like, well, who, what? Okay. According to investigators, the members of the group, quote, followed a conglomerate of conspiracy myths consisting of narratives of the so-called Reichsburger as well as QAnon ideology. Okay, QAnon is not from November 20. Everyone remembers no. QAnon. That goes back years. Okay, so what's Reichsburger? Well, Reichsburger also goes back many, many years. It wasn't formed in November 2021. It's basically a kind of sovereign citizens movement. Right. Um, that's what it means. Yep. I am a citizen of It's the Reich. The, the connection with Reich here is Imperial Reich, Imperial Germany. MSM reports have been awash that the plot was basically a wish to overthrow the state and return Germany to the Bismarck era of right. 1870 to 1914 and install a monarch once again, right. a royal Germany. In my own romantic fantasies, I have sometimes thought that would be cool, not just about Germany, but about any country, about France. France has an active royalist movement that really would like to see the descendants of Bonaparte or the Bourbons reinstalled. Right. And they're alive. They're real people. Um, and they are actually politically involved. The, mm -hmm. the bourbon in France was very outspoken against COVID lockdowns, for mm -hmm. example. Yeah, yeah. I don't know of any such thing in Germany, though. I think this is news to most German people. They know about the Reichsburger movement. Um, the core claim there goes back, it goes back to the 1960s. Their thinking is um, there was no proper constitutional change from Weimar Germany to Nazi Germany and then to post-World War II West Germany. Right. Um, so it's a legal quibble, but it, out of that has grown a basic a overall political stance that the regime is Ill illegitimate. Right. It's yeah. not hard Usually to see happens. how that has more popularity today post-lockdowns, post-greening you know, the whole agenda. You know, mm -hmm. It's basically a dissident, disparate, with all kinds of views, uh, movement and to call it a terrorist organization the, the MSM reports make vague allusions to murders of police officers for example there's one trial where a guy Gunther someone um, was tried and convicted he's in prison for shooting a cop who had come to execute a warrant for a search for illegal weapons in his home. Mm -hmm. It was something like a hunting rifle. You know, it right. wasn't the cash of right. to raise an army. Right. This guy in the court, one of the things they used against him, or was said about him, was that he was a Reichsburger. He right. didn't believe in the legitimacy of the very court he was in the presence of. Mm -hmm. So they, they, they strung a lot of disparate things that have factually happened mm -hmm. and attributed to a specific plot that was hatched in November 2021, involving a royal, an ex-paratrooper, another guy who's, who was a high-level cop, again, not named. It's very dodgy how they're keeping the names out, but they describe him as he wasn't just a, a, an ordinary cop. He was a policeman who specifically was tasked with overseeing protection to high-level VIP Jews mm. and protecting them against anti-Semites, mm. presumably actual bona fide neo-Nazis, right? Mm -hmm. And yet somehow this guy, it turns out he's a double agent and he's part of a plot to overthrow the state, right? Yeah. It's totally harebrained. Um, some of the details that are emerging now is that many of the arrestees knew in advance somehow that a warrant would be executed. Mm -hmm. there, was no, there was no real dawn rate surprise for them. And they were arrested, and we don't hear from them yet. Um, they're saying it, but I can't remember what evidence someone used 
decide to to suggest foreknowledge, but I've heard it mentioned a few times in mainstream reports. So, um, so it's super sparse on details. But the main impression all week long that they're conveying is that the members of this group slash terrorist organization mm-hmm. are all conspiracy theorists, anti-vax, and just irredeemably patriotic. Irredeemably it's, patriotic. As in, they're they're so patriotic, they're plotting to overthrow the state. Right. So it's uh, someone who has been watching this closely is Alina Lip. Alina Lip is the journalist who is kind of caught now in the Donbass. She can't go back to Germany because she's basically had her passport revoked mm-hmm. for being a quote Russian agent for reporting. She went to Donbass to report the NATO side of the war there. Realized mm-hmm. reality is the opposite, and basically started reporting about the attacks against civilians in mm-hmm. Donbass. That made her persona non grata back home. Right. Her parents have been harassed and everything. Anyway, Alina Lip is now working kind of freelance as a reporter. Uh, and she was asked and she interviewed on press TV and she said she believes the raids on this group, in quotes, were staged and that the government would probably use it to announce changes in laws in order to target opponents and restrict freedom of speech. A couple of other high-level people that are among the arrestees here. One of them was an AFD, Alternative for Deutschland, right wing, okay, right. member of the German Bundestag. Mm-hmm. She's not anymore. She wasn't reelected. I'm not sure what her story is, but she's a high level. She's a mover and she's a member of the German elite. So that's some clout behind her being arrested, right? Right. Another one is, I mentioned a celebrity, but there's another guy who's... Oh, another female. She's an acting judge. She's a federal judge right. in Germany. She's been named, but I'm not... Uh, I don't know anything about her background, but... So maybe they took it seriously Something, for a reason? I think they... It's almost... It, my blink impression on this after a few days is that there was something going on here, mm-hmm. but it was easily misled um, or uh, overrun with agents, you know, who sicked on other suggestions that took it to extremes, at which point it was ripe for the agents and informants to report back. And then they decided... The government would always... Let's act. Any government would always use that to kind of like serve as a warning to others type thing, you know, to highlight the the, the dangers of, of to the population and also, but to serve as a warning to other people, you know what I mean? They want to make it high-profile um, arrests and it to be carried in the press and stuff, you know, because they're, you know, they want to protect their own positions, you know what I mean? This this particular operation may not have been much of a threat at all. It may, may have been more, more, of, more of a LARP than anything else, but... Yeah. They but there is a, a real threat. Right. They use it as, as, a, as a warning. or something. The problem is when you do whatever it takes to, quote, protect democracy. You saw this in the, in the U.S., right? Mm-hmm. And you don't allow – you increasingly constrict the inroads that the popular will can have to mm-hmm. affect change mm-hmm. through the courts, through the electoral system. Mm-hmm. Okay, there's alternative for Deutschland, but they're not getting very far. The German parliamentary system – basically keep them under control and mm-hmm. everyone else out. Mm-hmm. And this is this is primarily a message to anyone who would consider conspiracy theories, being anti-vax. Mm. The, the lumping in of QAnon is particularly interesting because 
there's kind of a precedent. This isn't um, the first time Germans have heard of it. You remember the, the Million Man marches? There right. were a couple of major anti-lockdown marches in Berlin. Of all the places in Europe, the Germans protested really big time, especially East Germans. Right. And in Berlin, there was over everyone that, well, I don't think, I think officially, there only was just tens of thousands of people. And then you saw the drone footage. Uh, there were a million people. The streets were rammed with people. Well, that's not what the world was told about it. What they were told at the time, the headlines screamed everywhere from Timbuktu to Washington that a far-right movement had attempted to, quote, storm the Reichstag. <laughs> That's kind of true. What happened was a group split off from the main march and went towards the Bundestag right? and went up on the steps. Does this ring a bell? And the police sort of let them in. There's rumors that they were letting opening gates. Yeah. A bit of vandalism started, but it was stopped. Yeah. Shades of January 6th, right? Yeah. Well, go back to that DW report, because this is their opening reports on this week's royalist plot. Inside their just a facts report from DW, um, this is, in fact, it's this one here. Go to this. It shows seven images, a montage of images. Um. Click on those, and then if you can, go to the last one, number seven of seven images. Oh, actually, here's one as well. That's a photo from that event. But carry on. There's a more clear representation of this breakaway group from that uh, anti-lockdown march. This is some of the guns they claimed they found. Carry on. Here. This is from the lockdown march in 2020. So this is Reichsburger, basically. If there is a group involved here, they turned up at a number of protests waving American flags, pro-Trump, Russian flags, pro-Putin, and the old German flag, the black, white, and red one there. Mm -hmm. And they had QAnon, indeed, themed banners, flags, and so on. Um, Weird. It didn't just happen in Germany. It happened in, in Holland and other places as well. QAnon was, as much as... We know it's almost certainly an Intel PSYOP, right? Mm -hmm. But ironically, it took off in ordinary people. It did capture a few things into one, namely the elites out to get us kind mm -hmm. of attitude, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so that's all we heard about, about that Million Man March. Mm -hmm. Oh, there's been some fringe QAnon group that tried to storm the Reichstag. Mm. So that's why it, there's a tie-in with it here for a German audience, mm -hmm. that this plot to overthrow the state involves QAnon types, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Uh, for 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 the consistency of narrative, right? Yeah. Weird, weird times. Um, the thing is, though, the German, the, there really is, there really are foul groups afoot in Germany. Um, uh, I don't know. Do we have time to, to go into this? It'd probably take a while. But what? In in twenty eighteen, there was a trial that concluded in Germany that put away someone who was a member of a explicitly, as she believed, neo-Nazi organization. And she was on trial for the murder of at least some of a group, well not group, but they were grouped together after the fact, Turkish emigres. In the early 2000s, about 10 or 11 Turkish people were murdered in unsolved cases. No one connected them, much less found the culprits. Until in 2012, something happened. Um, two of two of th this terror group 
cell of three kill themselves mm-hmm. after a botched bank robbery, while the third person who was on trial for these murders in a trial that lasted five years, only mm-hmm. concluded five years later in 2018, she was stopped after um, setting fire to the apartment they'd all shared somewhere in southern Germany. Stopped, caught, and they, I don't know, investigators pieced things together and then, in hindsight, connected this terror group cell to the murders of 10 people. Anyway, the trial happened of this third surviving, a woman person, and it concluded in 2018. Um, it was... It took five years because there were so many state informants involved Mm. and there were so many injunctions to stop the trial. No, we can't name that person. No, we can't allow that evidence and so on and so on. Despite that, um, a number of things came out. In the murder of at least one of these Turkish men in a cafe, a state agent of one of Germany's 19 intelligence agencies. I didn't know Germany had 19 intelligence agencies, but um, was present in the cafe um, when this person, and that's acknowledged, that came out in the court trial. Mm -hmm. And they shaped it around, well, why didn't you do anything to stop him? Well, well, I don't know. And that was it. Uh, His name was protected. Mm -hmm. We never heard from him again. Uh, Well, actually, there is an update. He was simply moved to another agency. Mm -hmm. Maybe put put this article up. It summarizes the trial. Um, <clears throat> it was from 2018. A German trial, 10 unsolved murders and a weak court verdict. Now, in the interest of full transparency, a TRT world is a Turkish mm-hmm. in English language international outlet. So they had a particular interest in getting to the bottom of this because <clears throat> um, if you scroll down to... Um, See, I'm not sure what to highlight here. Um, okay, so this trial was the biggest lawsuit against a neo-Nazi group since the Nuremberg trials. Um, okay, scroll down. Uh, so they realized after the fact that between 2000 and 2007, oh, the, the name of this group was the National socialist underground mm-hmm. <coughs> NSU members perpetrated several hate crimes they're accused of killing at least 10 people um, yeah uh, so the person on trial uh, Z- not sure Shapa um her co-accused, these two men, Uwe Bonhart and Mundios, were found dead in a camper van under mysterious circumstances in 2011. Yeah, and she, sa- she said, the, the, well, the victims' families believe, believe the German government made a scapegoat out of Schappe and gave her a life sentence, while three others had only lenient, mild ones, while the real culprits were shielded. So basically, the, you know, which is, you know, given the fact that... Um, you know, just in the context here, you're talking about uh, Germany, you're talking about uh, social divisions, you're talking about neo-Nazi groups against immigration, anti-immigration, uh, infiltrated obviously by intel agencies and stuff, and there being, a, you know, to some extent, always a, 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 
an enduring interest on the part of intel agencies within, within any country to stoke racial, social, whatever division lines within society in order to, from, from the point of view of divide and conquer, right? So uh, this kind of thing happens, has happened, you know, happens all the time, has happened many times in many different countries over, over the years. And um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, when you see intelligences involved in it, directly involved in it, as kind of like, well, are there informants involved in it? Are them having groups, you know, extremist groups having been infiltrated by intelligences or the informants for intelligences? You can, you know, it's it's really dodgy. I mean, there's when I mean, you go back to like the FBI's terror plots in the in, in the U.S. over the past kind of twenty years, basically, where even major mainstream media outlets and like the New York Times and stuff talk about uh, all of those terror plots that you've probably heard about over the years where the FBI busted a terrorist organization about to carry out an attack and you realize that um, it was actually the FBI that, uh, you know, planned and created this plot itself and led it almost to fruition in order for them to be able to claim a, a success in um and preventing it. So, yeah, it's most of it's theater. Uh, the upshot of this case is that the the full files that the state has on the murders and the perps were classified for 120 years. Right. And when you see stuff like that, yeah, you know for sure that there's stuff going, going on, yeah. Anyway, um, Merkel was in the news this week, even though she... Well, 10 hours before... This Reichsberger royalist plot mm. exploded in Germany. Yeah, Merkel made it most astonishing confession. Yeah, um, she basically said, you probably, people probably know about it already, but she said basically that it was in an interview with the Zeit newspaper, which was published on December 7th, so four days ago, Merkel said that the Minsk agreements, which were the agreements that supposedly, you know, were meant to solve the problem in Donbass that, well, that flared up uh, after the US-backed coup in 2014, the people of Donbass didn't want to be part of Ukraine anymore. Minsk agreements, Minsk 1 and Minsk 2, uh, were signed by the European Union and by Ukraine and by Russia and um, in order to solve that particular conflict and it was meant to be, you know, negotiations were meant to be ongoing to reach a peaceful conclusion. But Merkel said that those agreements were an attempt to give time to Ukraine and it used this time to come stronger, as can be seen today. And she said that the Ukraine of 2014-2015 is not the modern Ukraine. According to her, it was clear to everyone that the conflict had stalled and the problem had not been resolved, yet this was precisely what gave Ukraine invaluable time. Um, so basically, this was, you know, Russia was holding off on doing something uh, intervening directly, let's say, to protect the people of Donbass who were under under attack by the Kiev post coup, post US coup forces in Kiev uh, for several years, they were holding off and directly intervening to 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 protect them because they believed that these Minsk agreements, uh, that, you know, in fact, and Merkel was a major part, to, major party to them at the time, that they were going to, you know, they were being signed in good faith, I had been signed in good faith and that there was a possible peaceful resolution to it and they found out too late that it was just a ruse to allow NATO to build up Ukraine's army in order to not find a peaceful re uh, resolution to the Donbass situation but rather invade Donbass and slaughter any resistance 
and take Donbass back into the fold and possibly, as as far as Russia is concerned, possibly then move on to Crimea. Um, and that's why, largely why Russia, or partly why Russia, um, launched the special military operation in February this year. Um, so yeah, the Russians, Putin himself and stuff have said that they were surprised, they didn't realise that the Minsk uh, agreements um and that Merkel herself and all, all, all other parties to it, apart from the Russians, um, were not sincere. Uh, and, you know, but yeah, that to find out the hard way not to trust people, but, you know, to Russia's credit, they extend that kind of trust as far as they possibly can in the hope that there's some, that some of your 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 partners are at least a little bit reasonable and aren't completely... Um, Duplicitous. Duplicitous and bent on, on conflict. But, you know, there's no easy solution to that kind of a, a, a situation, you know. You either trust, continue to extend at least some trust, or you don't at all and you just go, yeah. you decide we're on a war footing and that's it, you know. And like I said, it, it, it speaks to the fact that the fact that Russia held back for so long speaks to the fact that Russia did not want this conflict in Ukraine. Yeah. Un, under, uh, you know, by no means wanted it or was hoping for it or was planning for it. You know, certainly were were planning for it to some extent, but in the hope that it wouldn't happen and they wouldn't have to do, uh, take the actions they've taken in Ukraine. And of course, that the narrative is completely the opposite of that from the Western media and Western governments. Yeah. It it exposes the the complete amorality of Western leadership. Yeah. In, in these times. It's completely, they will say whatever and lie to you. They'll lie to the entire country for years on end, Minsk peace accords, Putin must be held. Oh, Putin is not, you know, holding his... And Putin's on the other end going, yes, I am, actually. Um, mm. Are you going to take this seriously? Or I can see what you're doing in Ukraine. Can we take this seriously? Mm. And that just reached breaking point in late 2021 when he said, guys, come on, I need... The Russians marshaled their troops on the borders and America said, they're going to invade, they're going to invade, they're going to yeah, invade. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yes, they're going to invade because... Because you've left them no of option. Did. And, yeah. and remember that the, part of the tragedy of it is that in 2014, the, Rus- the rebels, with no Russian support, you remember the NATO inspector, arms inspector, Jacques Bode? He mm-hmm. was there and he has since reported that I couldn't for the life of me find any Russian arms being smuggled in mm-hmm. to help the rebels. Mm-hmm. The overwhelming volume of material they had to repress Kiev forces was from defectors who s- were sent out there to suppress them or attack uh-huh. in their anti-terror option. And they defected to the Donbass mm-hmm. rebels and brought all the material with them. Mm-hmm. And remember what the Russians had to do? They had to sacrifice, put a, an end to, physically stop the advancement GV and Motorola and company and Zakrashenko, Zakrashenko, I think his name was, they were all about to take Mariupol. Mm-hmm. They had just completed the, the big cauldron at Devil Sevo. They were like, morale was high. They had the Ukrainians on the back foot. They were just, it was all, it was all going one way. We're like, Kiev's next. And they had that guy, uh, the, an actual Russian, ex-Russian military, Igor Strelkov, mm-hmm. was a senior commander as well. Putin Presumably Putin himself. Put the brakes on it in the interest of Minsk. Physically said, yeah. get him back out of here mm-hmm. to stop this. In and the interest of the Minsk agreements, which yeah. were, which were, which was a joke. And he, he has said that he regrets it now, or 
they should have done it sooner. What do you think? I mean, he, he's obviously talking to Russians. He has to justify it to them. When you said it to me, I mean, I asked you, is he, is he genuinely surprised by that? And you said, well, he may not be, but the only way he could find out for sure how this is extend trust, yeah. how necessary it is to have a war yeah. was to test yeah. the West. Yeah, and you, you take that as your your option one, which is to go with the trust thing, and and and, and you know, you make you show that you're a willing participant, that you're an honest participant in these Minsk agreements, et cetera, et cetera, and you look for a response from the other side. But at the same time, you don't trust fully and you have a backup plan in case, but you go with plan A, which is let's not, let's avoid, you know, let's not rush into war here. We don't want it, won't be good for anybody, won't be good for us. Let's try and avoid it at all costs. But if it, if it happens, we have, uh, you know, we, we'll be able to, We'll be able to deal with, we'll be able to, to to go that route if necessary, but mm. we don't want to. So let's go with Plan A, which is trust these people. Mm. At least trust that they're going to do what they say they're going to do, and wait and see if they do it. What other option is there? Nuclear war. Have, well, no, Basically. not nuclear war. The no, other no, option no. is to go ahead and have Just your invasion, have, have your invasion immediately, and say, "Listen, I'm not going to talk to you anymore." You, I, if you decide that you're not going to trust those people at all, if you decide, like they're they're finding that out now with Merkel, and and they're finding the depth of the duplicity of the Western Western uh, powers, but. I mean, if you decide that they're, you have enough evidence to conclude that they're all liars, they lie all the time, and you can't trust anything they do, well, then you simply don't talk to them at all anymore. You don't consult with them, you don't talk to them at all. That's increasingly the case. And you simply, well, that's what they've done with, yeah. I mean, they've more or less said that, that at this point, with the launch of the SMO, it's kind of more or less done. There's still some coordination or cooperation on certain things that are mutually beneficial, but as far as anything else goes, it's, it's like, it, it's off the table, and there's no more trust, basically. To, you know, whatever little trust there was is gone. So, uh, and yeah, Kosovo has kicked off. And actually, the interest on that, on Merkel and uh, Ukraine and the Minsk agreements, if you just throw one up, Serbia vows to learn the lessons from Merkel's Ukraine bombshell. Uh, this is so there's stuff that's kind of it's been kicking off a little bit in Serbia and Kosovo. Oh, well, not in Serbia, but in, uh, in Kosovo. Um, <coughs> Which we can only assume now is deliberate provocation. Yeah, something's yeah. Something. The Germans or the Americans. Yeah, for sure. I mean open another war front, give Russia something else. Yeah, they'll be fire. giving themselves something to think about as well. You know what I mean? It's a delicate balance or who you gonna yeah. who's actually gonna be suffer the most from this action, you know? Um so there is some thoughts thoughts still going into it, but it's just the fact that it, it was so it's been it's been quiet for so long, uh, it's really since two thousand eight since Kosovo declared independence and most countries in the West all um, validated their, you know, recognized their independence. And now, I mean, this, it has, has flared up here and there and on again, but in the context of the Ukraine war and stuff and the souring of relations between Russia and Europe and Serbia, of course, being aligned with, largely aligned with Russia, it doesn't look good, basically, you know. Um, one other thing just before we go, uh, Victor Boot. Victor Boot situation? Yeah. Um, well, there's but, an example of they are still talking, obviously, the US and Russia. Well, because yeah. he's been exchanged. Yeah, for, but why now? Like, the guy's been in prison in the US for 12 years. Uh, merchant of death, my ass. He, just, he was just one uh, arms dealer. Uh, probably by no means the worst at all. The CIA is the worst and biggest arms dealer in, in the world. They're the real lords of war. Um, but he's used, he was used as a political tool, basically. I mean, that. Once you start down that, and, and they started, I don't know how long ago they started, 
how long this kind of prisoner exchange, prisoner swap thing goes back. It probably goes back through, you know, most of human history. I don't know when you'd put the start point, but uh, certainly in the modern era, say in the 20th, since the 20th century, uh, once, uh, you know, competing powers, once one of them decides, I'm going to arrest this person, you know, on legitimate grounds or not, um, that is your citizen and keep him in prison here in order to exchange him with someone that you might arrest at some point, once you start that process, then it, then it's, that's it. it. It it never ends. It's tit for tat, and anybody it's hostage taking. Yeah, anybody and anybody is is fair game if if they fit the profile. And of course, Victor Boot was in prison in the US. Uh, he flew like I don't have the actual document document here, but he flew. Uh, you know, his main his 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 great crime was. To us to be supplying, he was supplying weapons basically to anybody with the, you know, with the connivance or with the, with the blessing effectively of most most governments because they're all interested in, in supplying weapons to different groups around the world. So he was the kind of got one of the one of the guys who would be would be supplying weapons to different groups. And he, but suddenly as soon as nine eleven after nine eleven happened and the U.S. decided that was going to invade Afghanistan for no real reason connected to nine eleven at all. Uh, he got in trouble with America immediately because up until then he had been supplying weapons to the Northern Alliance and different groups in Afghanistan. So suddenly he was enemy number one of America because Afghanistan suddenly became enemy number one of America. Uh, but even so, while he's being denounced as you know um, an arch criminal and an arch you know warlord or uh, uh, lord of war, or whatever in um, in in the, in the Western press, he was flying. Uh, apparently, a th- like a thousand. I have a, a thousand sortie, a thousand runs basically into Iraq for the U.S. military in two thousand five. Yeah. So four years after he had been denounced as um, the worst arms dealer ever, he was still being employed by the CIA and the British and the Pentagon, effectively, to uh, fly weapons into Iraq in two thousand five. Yeah, and it was only in two thousand eight that he himself got wind that. This time they would stop him. Yeah, they're trying he, to get him. Uh, so he stayed at home for months on end. Um, but then, I don't know, he thought it was safe to go to Thailand and they were waiting. He, they got him in a sting operation, which was interesting because it was to supply anti-aircraft weapons to the FARC, left-wing, anti-Washington, anti-Empire guerrillas in uh, Colombia. Um, and they supposedly get him on tape saying, being told by the sting offer the informant saying, uh, you know, this could kill Americans. And he goes, nah, <laughs> I don't care. Like, so they, they got him like, on a terror charge of wanting to kill Americans. Wanting to kill Americans. As, a like, as if, like, the weapons that he sells could be used to kill anybody, basically, you know. But, yeah, the interesting thing is that he's exchanged for Brittany Greiner, who's this uh, basketball player female basketball player who was arrested uh, last year in, the, in in Russia for having some weed on her. Again, politically politically motivated, given a nine-year sentence. And then, so she's exchanged. She, she wasn't even in prison there for a year, I don't think, and, and she's exchanged for Boot. Now, why did it happen? I'm like, why Why now? You know, uh, Boot could have been exchanged for anybody, yeah. uh, several, several different people, one of them a Marine, actually, in Russia long before now, but they hold, hold on to yeah. Boot. And why did they not move faster on, on Griner? Why did they pick this particular time? Why did they do it? Like, why did they let her sit in jail for a year? They were talking about it in the summer. Yeah, they're talking so about now? it. But why now? Why do they use, use the particular time? Well, it comes, like, it basically comes on day four 
of the Twitter files. Mm -hmm. And we're meant to discount that as, as having anything connected, you know, the, the negative optics of the Twitter files, to whatever extent there are negative optics, there are certainly on Twitter and for a lot of people that, that reflect badly on the Biden administration. Uh, and then you have, yay, look what the Biden administration did. They got a homecoming for Brittany. Isn't it so awesome? They brought her home. Our Biden administration is so good. We love them. Let's forget about it. You know what I mean? I just see it as a simple add-subtract type thing. You know, uh -huh. so there's a negative subtraction from the Twitter files. We're reflecting badly on the Biden administration. They try and even it a little bit by doing the cynical, yeah, let's bring Brittany home. Mm -hmm. so it's, it's a distraction. As Corrine yeah, herself said it's some good news. Uh, about the Twitter files, oh, Elon Musk is just, he's just distracting people from mm. Nazism on his, on his platform. Mm. No, you're just creating a distraction right. by doing this now. Yeah. So, yeah, lots of madness carrying on, uh, going it, on. What amazes me that the judge who convicted Boot was interviewed by the uh, Associated Press in the summer about what he thought, you know, should he be released? Uh, AP says the former NYC federal judge who sentenced Boot can be counted among those who would not be disappointed by Boot's freedom in a, in, a prisoner, in a prisoner exchange. Quote, he's done enough time for what he did in this case. That's it. That's yeah. all he said. More than enough. Um, I.e. the charges were concocted. He knew they were false charges or yeah. they were heavily embellished. Or that it was basically it was, politically, it was politically motivated. It was yeah. the government coming in and putting pressure on the. I, I haven't had time to check it out, but I have seen people say point out that after boot, it began a number of other high-profile cases of Russians being snatched mm -hmm. by American agents mm -hmm. all over the world, Cyprus, other places. You know, one of them on charges of, of money laundering, um, of being a hacker, when in fact he worked for like. Kaspersky Labs when it was still majority Russian known stuff like that mm -hmm. um, so hostage taking so that's basically what it is yeah similar then to what happened to the Huawei woman yeah in Canada yeah take a hostage yeah it's cynical and yeah but then the whole world is cynical these days everything about it is cynical yep so um, today's the 11th of December it is indeed next Sunday's the 18th Zelensky oh. is Times Person of the Year. Uh, yeah, yeah. Did that come out this year? Jesus, I just like whatever, dude. Isn't that great? Fantastic. Um, so was Hitler. Um, can you can we show one last thing? The, the last link I sent you, Scott, from the Daily Telegraph. I thought it was curious because again, now and then, Western media do somewhat acknowledge actual reality in Ukraine. Before you read the headline, the original headline read until it was changed about 12 hours ago, Ukrainian forces sucked into the meat grinder of Bakhmut. Yeah. And now it's a bit softer. But, uh, yeah, it's a meat grinder. And mm. they are acknowledging it. And they're, they're confused in this article. It's like, why are, why are they defending so desperately this town that has no value, blah, blah, blah? Mm. Well, it's actually been explained well by the Russians. The area is so freaking fortified because of those eight, eight years of preparation they mm -hmm. had that has become yeah it's, it's just a, a super useful bri bridgehead mm -hmm. it's a place to dig in and defend it's got rows and rows of trenches supplies mm -hmm. depots underground bunkers all kinds of things so the Russians are having to go through it piece by piece and it is brutal mm. it is brutal it's like several hundred casualties dead Ukrainians a day at the moment per day, yeah. they acknowledge that now 
Um, yeah. Well, Odessa, by the way, is completely without power as mm-hmm. of airstrikes yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, God help him. I, I, I do sympathize with the Ukrainians, even, even if they're, I don't know what, what they're going to rise up or do something, or they just have to suffer what they must because military reasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Again, though, like we just pointed out, Putin didn't want this, and he gave them eight years of saying, I don't want this, I don't want this, I don't want this. Yeah, but the stuff, the, the the motivating factors and the causes behind that conflict are kind of high-level geopolitical stuff. They're beyond the ken of most people, you know what I mean, yeah. uh, to really understand. And But, you know, yeah, you pay the price for corrupt, evil leadership and selling out your country to to another block, you know. Uh, that definitely doesn't have your own interests at heart. Um, and that's the case in Ukraine. All right, so we'll leave it there for this week, folks. Thanks for watching, listening, commenting. We'll be back next week with another show on whatever's been happening between now and then. So until then, have a good week. See you later. Thanks for watching. Bye, everyone. Can't stop the signal now. Mm-hmm.